The 630 Chad Afternoon News. Brought to you by California Closets. For the love of home. Welcome back uh, to the 630 Chad Afternoon News. As I mentioned off the top of the show, we're going to take some time this afternoon uh, to remember Don Getty. As you know, uh, Mr. Getty, the former premier who helped steer Alberta through the economic slowdown and falling energy prices of the 1980s, passed away at the age of 82 earlier this morning. Uh, Mr. Getty was Alberta's 11th premier. He leaves behind his wife, Margaret, and his four sons. Now, this morning on Bruce Bowie's show, uh, Bruce had an opportunity to talk with former Mayor Bill Smith uh, with a little bit of a look back on uh, Don Getty's uh, career. Let's take a listen. Well, he was the best mayor. It still is the best city in the best province and the best country in the world. But uh, former Edmonton Mayor Bill Smith joins me this morning. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Bruce. Good to hear you. Well, good to hear you, too. And to have you back on the show, it's been too long. Um, we're all saddened to hear this about the, the passing of... Uh, not just our former premier, but your friend, Don Getty. Do you want to tell us a bit about your relationship with Don, Bill? Well, of course, uh, it goes back to uh, uh, 1956 uh, when I was just a young guy uh, trying out for the Eskimos, and I, I and Don was a graduate from Western. Uh, and uh, the, the I always kid him. The first inter-squad game we had, the first touchdown pass he ever threw was to me. And so, although I never played offense for the Eskimos in my uh, eight years with them. Uh, I used to always kid him that, uh, you know, hadn't it been for me, you never would have starred in this league. But uh, I want to take the opportunity, Bruce, to pass on my condolences to Marg and the boys and the extended family. It, uh, we lost uh, uh, a great guy, a great Albertan, a great Canadian, and uh, Don uh, always had a special place in my heart and a lot of respect for Don Getty. You, you knew him better than, than most of us, uh, Bill. And uh, what do you think he'll be most remembered for? Well, I, I think that, uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, the times uh, during his term as uh, premier, uh, we had some uh, tough times uh, with the province, and, and sometimes uh, they, they blame the, the person at, at the top type of thing. But uh, I think Don will always be remembered for, the, for his integrity, uh, a guy that uh, uh, ruled, he, he guided the province, I think, uh, with a steady hand and in tough times. But I, I think of Don always, uh, uh, his integrity on and off the field as a premier, and uh, uh, he was always, I always remember a few times I had to give him a call about different things. Uh, he was always, took my phone call and respected our association. He, uh, of course, uh, instigated Family Day. I, I think he's going to be remembered as a great family man, too, don't you think, Bill? Oh, very definitely. And, and you know, he, uh, he raised a great family, and uh, I have to give uh, lots of credit to Mark on that. It wasn't just Don, but because Don, you know, of course, uh, is away and busy schedule as a premier. But uh, Mark was a tremendous help to him, both as a premier uh, and as a wife and in raising the kids. And uh, a lot of thanks and respect has to go to her uh, and family day uh, she was able to balance off the time and uh, Don who thought of the day of family day I think uh, uh, is, is really really important and it, it continues to today well some great thoughts Bill thank you for sharing those
And that was Bruce Bowie talking to former Mayor Bill Smith with uh, his memories of the former Premier Don Getty. I mentioned off the top of the show as well that a number of people will remember Don Getty a number of different ways, a lot of careers intertwining with one another. One of those careers, our very own Eileen Bell. Eileen? Well, yeah, you know what? Um, to me, I, it was during Don Getty's time as Premier of Alberta that I really felt like an Albertan. I had been born in Montreal and lived there till I was 19, went away to university in the States, and then came back and, uh, well, for the first time, moved to Alberta. Ah, wow. Um, Early 1980s. Actually, yeah, 1980. But it wasn't until uh, Don Getty was premier, and I remember watching uh, Monitor in the newsroom. I was working here at Ched, and he was um, representing Alberta at Meech Lake Talks, where all the premiers and the prime minister were together. And um, he stood up and fought for Alberta rights. And I remember sitting there just cheering him on like, you go, and then realizing... I guess this is where my heart is now, right? <laughs> and and feeling like an Albertan ever since. Um, you had an opportunity to interview Mr. Getty, I'm sure. Oh, many, many times, but uh, actually probably not even the most recent, but but uh, one I found today that uh, had a, a few very prophetic things in it, actually, uh, was an interview I did with him in 2006, and it was... Ralph Klein had announced that he was stepping down, and there were 10 or 12 candidates trying to replace him, including Ed Stelmach, who who won the leadership and became the next premier. But Premier Getty had been listening because every night, I think it was between 7 and 8 p.m. on Ched, uh, for two weeks I had one of these candidates in, and we let him or her take, uh, there was one woman in the race, uh, take calls from our listeners, and we really grilled them on what they wanted for Alberta, and, and former Premier Getty had been listening, and he called me and he goes, I've got some thoughts. So I thought, well, I got some time. So we we chatted and he said something during the interviews. Um, I thought, say what? Because I had kind of thought that the Tories were um, impenetrable, that they were going to be in power for quite a long, 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 long time. And they were, but as we know, they they aren't now. And back then in 2006, uh, Don Getty basically saw the split coming in the Tory ranks. In fact, Members of the party uh, speak to me uh, often uh, about how they feel they're um, they're just not being heard, and that uh, governing has become more important than the party, and that they're not listened to. So I thought. Really? And and it seemed very surprising the former premier would say this, because for all outside um, benefits and viewings, it it sure looked like there was only strength in there. And he he said this. There have been a fair number of cases where the constituencies feel that they have not been listened to. You you used the phrase that it was in tatters. Is that what you think? (laughs) Well, there are some constituencies that are in tatters, and I have even heard member uh, leadership candidates say that. So that really surprised me. But then, of course, two years later, the Wild Rose That's Party right. united all those groups, right? Alberta, there was the, the Alliance Party and uh, different groups that had popped up. There was um, a number of them, and then Wild Rose kind of became an ally with the Alliance Party. It became Wild Rose Alliance for a while, and then it was like the two-member Wild Rose Party and the 300-member um, Alberta Alliance, and, and Wild Rose not only merged with them, but then just took them over, and now it is again officially just called the Wild Rose Party, but uh, but they saw it back then. 
And that, that surprised me quite a bit. And now we're in a situation again where the Tories are looking for a new leader, just like they were when I had talked to, to Don Getty at that time. And here's a clip that um, I, I asked him what they should look for in a new leader. And we know circumstances are different now, but the answer might just be the same. Leadership takes courage. So it has to be a courageous kind of person to stand up there and lead this province. It takes that, and they should have a history of loyalty, I guess, to Alberta. And now Albert, or Albert, sorry, Andrew, that's yes. it, Andrew. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm seeing were, Alberta, Alberta. I thought Alberta. you were going with Alberta again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting because you and I spoke uh, in the newsroom before the afternoon news began. And I jumped down your throat. A little bit because, um, and as I mentioned, some careers intertwined, yours included, mine not. So I knew of uh, Premier Getty as someone who lived in the Maritimes. I, I mean, I was someone who lived in the Maritimes and was looking out west to Alberta at this premier. And my impression, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you didn't agree, my impression was that at a time when oil prices were were plummeting, I mean, they went down to $10 a barrel. Mm-hmm. I, I almost have to knock on wood when I say that. Um, my impression was he was a premier that uh, rather than cutting costs, taxed um, taxpayers, that he tried to make up the, the shortfall that way, but you, you kind of disagreed with that. No, he's criticized for all the spending that took place when he was there. But um, and I and I know you've got your MBA, you you outclass me academically de- degree wise. But I did take this one course about political science that talked about Keynesian economics, and it talked about how when you are at a low economic point, that that is that is really the only time a government should overspend its bounds and put into organizations and tax structures and stuff and 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 be able to build infrastructure that's when government is supposed to spend money so really at that time uh, it's very similar to what the Americans did um, during the Great Depression, is that's when they built things like Mount Rushmore. Like, well, right now I can't see anyone saying, let's go carve up a mountain. Can you imagine the Sierra Club if we said that? Exactly. And what you're talking <laughs> let's about Let's put that. Don Getty's face on, right. on, on one of those mountains in Banff. That, that's an yeah. absolutely uh, well-received and well-accepted theory. It's called the uh, paradox of thrift, that if you cut down on spending, you actually do nothing to stimulate the economy. He did the opposite. And, and you know what? In hearing what he just said a moment ago, that quote, uh, in which he said, you know, a, the leader has to be brave and strong. He, he made a brave decision to do that because politically, at least in the short term, it actually hurt him. Although he returned his party to power uh, in 1989, he himself lost his seat. He did, and that was actually my my riding. Like I still live in that in that neighborhood in what's now called, uh, gee, I can't remember if it's Edmonton Rutherford now or Ed, Edmonton White Mud. But um, yeah, he was the, he was the sitting MLA, went to election, and and they got elected everywhere else. But boom, Percy Wickman beat him in in my little riding. And I remember Graham Hicks and I were the only ones at the Royal Gardens Hall that night covering uh, Percy Wickman's uh, gathering because we we were there to see this city councillor talk about how bad it was to be defeated and actually <laughs> yeah. he got the nickname the giant slayer from that's that. right but then uh, don getty ran in stetler and stetler now has a beautiful highway system around yeah, don't they, <laughs> yeah, and, they yeah. do. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that too as you all know i spend uh, a week or two in stetler or erskine that area at old mcdonald's every year uh-huh. and i can tell you that those who have lived there for a long time including the mcdonald family um have nothing but fond memories of Mr. Getty and the work that he did for their area once he became their MLA. They, they speak very highly of him 
unconditionally. And in that interview that I that I found today that I did with him back in 2006, he talks about the transition. And, you know, we, we, we often hear people say there's a difference between rural and urban Albertans, right? And he said what he found when he was the MLA for Stetler was that rural Albertans, when they get together and talk, they usually talk politics. That's where movements come from, like we've seen the, the dissonance that, that uh, caused Wild Rose and, and different movements come from, or people that like really take their politics seriously. And you're out there and you think that this bill is going to hurt your farm, you're there with your tractor to protest, yep. Yep. right? But uh, you can hear that whole interview, by the way, at 630ched.com. We have it on SoundCloud in our story about uh, Don Getty that's there. Good stuff. Interesting conversation. Thank you. Eileen, we need to talk more, you and I. Well, we should. All right. Thank you so much. This is the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad. Among the other uh, people who have uh, very distinct and fond memories of our former Premier Don Getty uh, is our very own Brian Hall. And uh, the newsroom caught up with him this morning. Let's, Let's take a listen to that conversation. Halsey, you came in this morning and told us about the passing of uh, your friend, former Premier and Eskimos quarterback, Don Getty. Just your initial reaction to the news. Well, I mean, I am not surprised because Don had been ill for quite a long time. So I knew that the end was near. But he was just a terrific guy, a very good friend, an excellent family man. He and his wife, Margaret, you know, they came here and about 1954, same time as Jackie Parker arrived, and at the same time I was starting my broadcast career. We all met one another in the Eskimo dressing room, and he became a lifelong friend. His probably best friend was Jackie Parker, who passed uh, a few years back. But uh, Don uh, was very successful as a businessman in the oil and gas business. He came here from the University of Western Ontario, But he also quarterbacked, a lot of people might not know this, but he was the quarterback for the Eskimos' 1956 Grey Cup win, their third straight Grey Cup. They've now won 14, but they won it in 54, their first, won it again in 55, and in 56, he was the quarterback. And Jackie played elsewhere. But um, they have four sons, and, you know, he he was a, a, a good father. And just a nice guy. I mean, he was just a nice guy. And we just celebrated Family Day, and that was his doing when he was premier of this province. He was hooked up with Peter Lougheed, Peter Lougheed himself, a former Eskimo. And uh, I remember, you know, I knew that well because I campaigned door knocked for Don Getty during that campaign when Lougheed and the conservatives took over from the Socred. So... It's a long time I go back with him, but uh, he's going to be missed by a lot of people because he was just a nice guy and a good friend. You touched on his uh, football career. Just speak to what he was like on the field and the quality of play he provided for the Eskimos. Well, I mean, he was a winning quarterback. Uh, he, you know, learned a lot from Jackie. I mean, Jackie was so good, so smart, and uh, Don learned a lot from him. I mean, after all, they were roommates when they were on the same team, the Eskimos, and uh, he was given the opportunity because the Eskies, coached by Frank Popivy at that time, uh, uh, they were able to move people around. And in those days, the game was different, and the rosters were different because you played both ways. You played offense and defense. And uh, so Don, you know, had an opportunity to, to quarterback while Jackie played elsewhere. And uh, he, you know, Jackie did play elsewhere and because he was so versatile and so good. 
But uh, Don, as a result, got an opportunity to play, and he played very well and was, as I say, the uh, winning quarterback for the Eskimos in 1956. And you lived through his, his tenure when he served as premier. Uh, you touched on him creating family day, that sort of thing. But speak more about just what you thought of him as a premier and the leader of our province. Well, I mean, you know, the, the critics are going to be there against him because of what happened. But at that time, if you go back and take a look at what was going on, at that time, it was really, really tough because of oil, and it had taken a downturn. And so he comes in, not when things are rolling hot, as an example, when Ralph Klein became the premier. I mean, everything was rosy. There was money flowing because of the price of oil and what was going on in the patch. But Don, whose background was the oil and gas business, uh, Don came in at a time when it economically wasn't so good. So as a result, people would look and say, well, I don't know if he was that good a premier. Look, he was the premier of the province, and uh, he did the job that had to be done at the time. And that was him. Brian Hall talking with uh, Brad Whisker from our newsroom. Some fond memories of Don Getty, some strong words. Uh, Don Getty, of course, passing away earlier uh, this morning at, I think, approximately 2 a.m. at the age of 82, uh, leaving behind his wife Margaret and his four sons. Uh, I think probably, although he did so much for the province, best remembered, I would think, for uh, Family Day and uh, for his push for Senate reform. We're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, we're going to talk negative income tax. The 630 Chad Afternoon News, brought to you by California Closets, for the love of home. Welcome back to the 630 Chad Afternoon News. I'm Andrew Gross. Jay Lynn Nye away today. She will return next week. Uh, for those that have asked on our texting line, uh, what about Todd Hirsch, Senior Economist for ATB Financial? Uh, Todd uh, had another engagement this afternoon at the time that we normally would have him on. He'll return next Friday. So that doesn't mean we can't talk a little economics, though. We're going to do that right now. As Senator Art Eagleton tabled a motion in the Senate asking that the Senate encourage the federal government to evaluate the cost and impact of implementing a national basic income program based on negative income tax for the purpose of helping Canadians to escape poverty. So exactly what would that look like? Joining me now is Mr. Eagleton, former Canadian cabinet minister, the 59th mayor of Toronto, and a current senator for the province of Ontario. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Andrew. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, join us this afternoon. It's an interesting conversation. I wanted to start, perhaps you could just set the framework for us, um, exactly what it is you've proposed. Well, I propose that we do a pilot project, uh, not that we leap into basic income or guaranteed annual income, as it's been known for many years, uh, but that we do a pilot project to see if it really would work. I, I think... Uh, I think the cost-benefit analysis will prove that this could be very efficient, very effective, a much smarter way of spending money than we presently do. We presently spend money on social welfare systems that we spend millions of dollars and just deal with the billions of dollars and just deal with the symptoms and don't go to the disease itself. We uh, we keep uh, people in poverty. We entrap people in poverty, and 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 the taxpayers are spending billions of dollars. Uh, uh, so. 
I, I think there's a better way of doing it. I think it's time to look at a new way of doing it. So let's uh, let's break it down a little bit so everybody uh, understands what we're talking about. When you talk about uh, the cost of dealing with poverty and you're talking about a, an abundance of welfare programs and the bureaucracy that goes along with maintaining and overseeing those, right. you, what you're talking about is eliminating that and coming up with the NIT or the negative income tax where people have to make a certain amount of income there's a minimum wage if you will a minimum annual salary and those under that would then get uh, compensation from the government it would be tax in essence paid from the government to the person that's right i I mean we do this already we do it for seniors we have a guaranteed income supplement for seniors comes from the income tax uh, system we also have a gst rebate uh, system uh, for people so the machinery is there in the tax system, in the uh, Canada Revenue Agency. So uh, it's a much more simplified, much more transparent uh, system. And the whole idea is to bring people up to the poverty line, up and above the poverty line. And so they have enough for the basics in life, you know, food, clothing, uh, and, and shelter. It's, it's not going to be the good life. Uh, they're going to have to go on from there and do more uh, to uh, earn a living uh, to get above that, but it gives them a floor. It gives them a foundation in which to work from. So, and for those listening who might think this is some outlandish idea or something that's just a pie-in-the-sky concept, it's actually not a new concept. The idea behind a negative income tax has been uh, bantied around in various different countries over the years. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, under Richard Nixon, the Congress darn near got it passed, but but it fell apart at the last second. So is this... Is yours any different than those that have been proposed by other countries that have not been successful? Well, it, it has a lot of similarities. It's a matter of bringing it into the modern day and age and, and determining uh, just what the costs uh, and benefits are of uh, moving to such a, a system. Now, we had back in the 60s and the 70s, we did have some pilot projects. You mentioned the United States. Uh, there were a number of states that did pilot projects, and we did one in Manitoba. Uh, it was a co-sponsored by the federal government uh, and the provincial government at the time, and uh, it produced some very interesting results. It was largely done. It was partly done in Winnipeg, but largely done in the town of Dolphin. They considered that to be a good area to to uh, to approach this in, and so they found that uh, the health care costs went down. Uh, people less hospital, less stress and strains of life, mean less mental health uh, issues. They also found that people still remained attached to the workforce. They didn't quit to sit home and collect the money. They they still were attached to the workforce. The only people that saw them that quit in any numbers were were women who had uh, young children at home, wanted to stay at home. They didn't have the maternity leave in those days that they have today. But they wanted to stay at home and look after the kids. And also uh, some of the younger folks wanted to go back to school and uh, advance themselves, and, and they did that, and they got a better job at the end. So uh, I think it worked fairly well. I it's, uh, it's almost 40 years of age, though, and uh, so I think we need to uh, do it again to convince people that, in fact, this would be a new approach, a new way to go. Well, it's an interesting concept for a number of reasons that you just touched on. One of the negative aspects of it, or, or, or one of the arguments that people will will bring up, is that it encourages people not to work um, because there's a minimum guarantee, so why bother? But that's the same criticism of the existing uh, welfare programs that, and, and oftentimes the rules regarding welfare and unemployment actually do prohibit somebody from trying to work at all because you work and you lose those benefits. Well, precisely because you, you know, that, as I say, 
<laughs> at very best, what the current social welfare system does is that uh, maintains people in poverty. It doesn't help them to get out. In fact, it frequently entraps them because if they move ahead and get a little bit of work, uh, then something else gets clawed back in the system, whether it's uh, in the social pay- welfare payments or whether it's in housing or childcare or something. Something gets clawed back, so that they can never get out. Uh, and uh, this is a much better system. It's less stigmatizing as well because uh, it would be based on income tax, uh, and uh, so it's much more of a private kind of thing. So uh, I, I think it's really worth uh, the try of having a, a project. Well, it's certainly worth exploring. Now, what's uh, stopped or stood in the way of this sort of program being implemented in other uh, countries is um, tax law. That tax law is very complicated, and particularly, I think, in the United States, as I mentioned earlier, that was the big concern, that they would have to overhaul their entire tax system in order to make this work. Given our current tax system, how much would have to change to make a program like this work? Well, I'm sure there would need to be some changes, but... uh the, the current system, the current uh, tax system, does have elements of guaranteed income or basic income in it uh, already, uh, such as the, the seniors. You know, we've, we've had since the 70s, we've had a guaranteed income for senior citizens. Uh, so uh, so some of the uh, mechanism and some of the machinery that's necessary and the bureaucracy is, uh, is already there. So, yeah, so, but part of any pilot project, we, we have to assess all the costs uh, and, and benefits of it. Interestingly enough, there was a study done by uh, a group uh, overseen by a group of economists in Ontario a few years ago, and they said that nationally, poverty probably costs about $30 billion annually, and they, they, they uh, divided that up into uh, a lot of costs in the health care system because the low-income people use much more of the health care system than the higher-income people. So, And they said uh, also lost productivity, uh, additional crime uh, uh, problems uh, that exist. So when you add it all up, they said about $30 billion a year. On the other hand, there was another organization, a government entity called the National Council on Welfare that existed at the time, and they said, well, you know, to bring everybody from where they are now up to the poverty line, they thought it would be $12 billion. Well, I don't know how accurate those figures would be today, but... It's far better to spend $12 billion than $30 billion. <laughs> Yeah, well, and therein lies the backbone of your thesis, because basically your, your theory is that you want to do a pilot project to see what the offsetting benefit, the lack of uh, cost right. associated with uh, welfare, would, if, would it outweigh the benefits uh, that would have to be paid out? That's precisely what this is all about. I, because I think people want to see uh, the proof, and if we can prove this to be uh, the case, then I think we can end poverty. And we could end a lot of uh, costs, a lot of uh, expensive uh, bureaucracy within the social welfare system uh, that we have today. And certainly there's going to be, as there is with any government um, proposal, there's going to be those that take advantage of that proposal. And if there were a negative income tax uh, program, you're going to have those couples, for example. I'm thinking about two-income families, uh, two parents at home. Uh, You know, one wants to stay home and... uh, um, you know, just benefit, supplement their other, uh, the other spouse's income, there would have to be something done to ensure that it wasn't a simple handout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want a handout. I want a hand up. I want, I want to bring people up to a, a new floor. Uh, uh, and uh, by doing that, they, they then have a, a basis to be able to grow from there. And because uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody uh, would just want to sit around on a very basic uh just above the poverty line kind of uh, money, 
uh, you know, that just gets you food on the table and, and the, the very basic kind of things. Uh, people want to do better than that, and, and uh, I think we need to, we'll still need programs like helping train people for, for jobs. We'll still need to provide support in areas such as affordable housing, or the infrastructure kind of programs and affordable uh, housing, for example. Uh, but in terms of the income security, I think this would be a mar- far more efficient and effective system, and I think at the end of the day it would cost us less. You know, it's interesting because, of course, when the topic of the Senate comes up, and particularly in the last uh, year or so, uh, people question what the Senate does and are not are no longer satisfied with the explanation that it's a chamber of uh, sober second thought. But this is an example, is it not, sir, of what the Senate actually does do? Oh, uh, we, we do some great studies uh, on different issues. We're about to unveil one next week on the obesity uh, question and uh, many other studies that we've done over the years that I think are quite valuable and, and informative to government in, in developing uh, public policy. But, you know, we, we that doesn't get out. It's the few scandals that get out as opposed to the good work that's being done. Now, the Senate is evolving. The Senate is undergoing a change. We're, we're moving towards a more independent and more nonpartisan chamber. And I think as a result, we'll see more of these uh, kind of efforts uh, to help develop public policy and do it in a more useful way, and it'll, I hope, will build a better reputation for the Senate. Earlier today, I spoke with uh, a, a writer, David Martin, with uh, Huffington Post, and he mm-hmm. recently wrote a blog, I think it was just yesterday or this morning, why I would make a great senator. It was basically a tongue-in-cheek uh, piece, mm-hmm. uh, but it was it, he was questioning the new method by which senators are chosen. I'm curious what you think about this advisory committee um, asking for applications, basically, and narrowing it down to five for the uh, Prime Minister to look at? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a good idea. Uh, I know you have a different system in Alberta, but I think uh, uh, it's a good idea uh, because in past, it was all, always the personal choice of the Prime Minister, regardless of uh, what party the Prime Minister was from. And it was largely people that were loyal to the party, and I think we got to get away from that. I, I, that that, that's been part of what's hurt the Senate's uh, reputation. So I, I think uh, we have a chance of getting a wide range of people uh, with a wide range of uh, expertise and knowledge about different issues uh, that I think can make the, uh, the Senate a better place. You know, I don't want to dwell on this. You mentioned it a moment ago, but of course the scandals, uh, the scandals, well, I guess it's plural, scandals in the Senate in the last little while. As a senator, how tough has that been for you? I mean, what, what, just what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's not been pleasant, but, you know, I, I try to keep my head down and keep working on uh, the different issues uh, that I'm involved in uh, in the Senate and uh, uh, hoping that uh, we're able to finally break through and show people that we do things that are, are useful. We're the Chamber of Sober Second Thought, and I think we're now going to be given that opportunity to demonstrate that that we can provide uh, some expertise that is helpful in the drafting of legislation uh, for this country. And what is the next uh, move, uh, what's the next step for the proposal you've made for the for this particular? Well, it's on the Senate floor and it'll be debated. There are different uh, members. I want to get up and talk about it and uh, hopefully within the next few weeks it'll be voted on. And it's uh, advice to the government. It's, uh, it's request them to, to uh, talk to the provinces and territories. Uh, there's a number of them that are interested. Yesterday, Ontario's uh, budget uh, mentioned a basic income pilot. Uh, Quebec's interested. Um, 
the the mayors of uh, of Edmonton and and Calgary have both uh, indicated their their interest in it. Uh, <coughs> so I think uh, there's a, a growing momentum here, and so we'll give that advice to the government when we pass it, and uh, hopefully they'll they'll start talking to the province, territories, municipalities, whatever, and and come up with a pilot program and and complementary studies that'll help bring out all the the evidence that's necessary to make a, a decision. Well, it's going to be an interesting uh, story to follow, and that's exactly what we're going to do. We'll have to have you on the show again a little farther on down the road if it makes it out of the Senate. I appreciate your time today, though, uh, Mr. Ingleton, and thank you so much, and thank you for your service to the country. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're listening to the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, Morley's got to step back in studio again. We've got a few minutes before we take another look at the news. Uh, do you want to help me give away some tickets? Sure. Why I'm, not? I'm here to help. All right. Uh, get on the phone right now. Explain what you may have heard today. I'm here to help. <laughs> I know you are. You, you've been there the whole time, coughing away. Uh, 496-0063. 496-0063. We've got a pair of tickets to Citadel Theatre's Alice Through the Looking Glass. It runs from February 27th to March 20th. This is the story that takes place six months after the adventures in Wonderland. It's just another story just beginning. It's a great production. You'll enjoy it. And Morley Scott, as always... You will be... The lifeline. The lifeline. Excellent. And now you weren't much use yesterday. And I was none whatsoever because (laughs) I had no idea what you were talking about. I feel like we should almost make it mandatory that if they use you as a lifeline, they have to use your answer. But maybe that's that's too restrictive. That's a little unfair. All right. That's a little unfair. I don't actually have a question, so... Oh, really? So how how is this going to work then? Uh, I'm just going to verify the fact that you don't have a question? I'm going to work on the fly. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Who have I got? Uh, Sean. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Hey, good, Andrew. How are you? Not too bad. Sorry for laughing right there. I was looking for the ah, cap. Okay. Well, I was looking for the cap for my uh, pen, my mm-hmm. marker, because oh, I don't want it to oh, dry. The biggest out. sharpie I've ever seen. Sharpie. By the way. It's a huge sharpie. <laughs> yeah. And so it had fallen down, and the floors here at Cheddar not even, so it had rolled somewhere. So I put my flashlight on from my phone. Yeah, and you've been shining in my eyes. Right. Ever since and I, I walked in. I here. totally forgot to turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, who hasn't done that? I know. I, I shined it right in Morley's eyes. Oh, okay. I, yeah, but I think he'll survive. All right. So okay. have you been listening to the show for the last half hour? I yes, last half hour yes. Excellent. You'll know the answer to this, Morley. I'm okay. positive. I'm gonna okay. do my best. All right. Uh, here's the thing, and you can use Morley as a lifeline, Sean, if you need okay, to. Okay, perfect. All right. So I just got off the phone with Art Eglinton. He's a former Canadian cabinet minister. He's previously served as the 59th mayor of Toronto, and he's currently a senator representing the province of Ontario. Can you tell me what it is he just proposed uh, to Senate? Well, he just proposed the negative income tax for low-income low families. Stop right there. That's ding, ding, correct. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yesterday it was way harder. What, and you don't even want my help? Is yeah. that what you're saying? No, no, no. Thanks, Morley. I appreciate it. Oh, man. I enjoy your sport. It's funny, Sean. Yesterday, I don't know if you're listening, but yesterday we did the same thing, only I picked something from an hour ago. Oh, no, in fact, That's I said... The whole show. Oh, you picked the whole show. I tried to get in yesterday. Yeah. Really? Because I said just anything, and nobody could remember. Even I wasn't listening. Right. And, and I thought, why am I even doing this, yeah. right? But, yeah. then, but I, then I realized... I couldn't remember. Like, I had to grab for the lineup to see, well, what, what, what did, did I do about? today, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so you're going to go to the show. I'm going to put you on hold, Sean. And then uh, one of the boys, I can't see who's there. Matthew's going to take some information from Matthew, you. Matthew, okay. Yep. Way to go, Sean. Congratulations. Yep, good work, my hey, friend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right. it. Good hey, work. Thank you. you. Thanks very much. That's Sean. He's happy. I'm always happy yeah. when somebody's happy to win. We're, we we like making people happy. That's Well, it's what we do. It's, it's what we're here for. So listen, do you want to take another run at this? Uh-oh. Okay. What? Uh, 
And by the way, coming up after four o'clock, and on the Facebook page, we still got the Trump question up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know as to whether or not relations with Canada will be better now that Trump has said he won't build a wall. <laughs> Which, by the way, as you looked at a map, because there's some great lakes involved here. Yeah, like a wall. That'd be a pretty good wall. Not pretty all that wall. practical. Well, is it not the longest? Border? It is unsecure. I think it's yeah. the longest unprotected Un- yeah. border or something yeah. like that. Uh, but at four, be like the Great Wall of Canada. <laughs> exactly. He's <laughs> seriously. Anyway, um, at four o'clock, we're going to put up another question, but I'll tease it for you right now, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll do this. Um, there's a guy. I think it's a guy uh, who has twins, and they're newborns, mm-hmm. and he's having a hard time keeping them straight. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. It is funny. How's mom like that? Well, I'd kind of like to know the answer to that, to yeah. be honest with you. But what he's proposing is that he tattoos them. Oh. Yeah, like puts their names oh. sort of like you do on the back of clothes. Yeah. There's so many implications to that, <clears throat> like tattooing for identification mm-hmm. brings up certain... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plus, a parent not being able to tell the difference between twins... Also brings up a few questions. Exactly. So that'll be our question, our topic on Facebook coming up after four, and I'd love to uh, have people weigh in. And in fact, I would love to hear in the next half hour, if you have time, four nine six zero zero six three. if you're the parent of or are a twin... How do you keep people straight? Uh, you know what? One of my funniest twin quotes I ever heard was uh, when Elaine Vigneault, uh, who's coaching the New York Rangers now, mm-hmm. uh, was coaching the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, yeah. Uh, his second year coaching the Canucks. <laughs> I, I asked him a question in the preseason on the pregame, and, and I said, what's the difference this year with the Canucks compared to last year? It's your second year around. And he yeah. said, nothing really. The only difference now is I can tell Henrik and Daniel apart. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's, That's got to be really helpful. Yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> tough. Do you know, I have twins in my family. Twins run in my family. Mm-hmm. My wife's a twin. Is that a fact? Well, about a... Or, Identical? No. Paternal? Is that what the paternal? I don't know. Well, her, her twin brother is six foot four, about 260. Oh, so. it's a. Yeah. Oh, okay, is it paternal? Yeah. Is that the word? What's right, right. Paternal? So paternal? I don't uh, know whatever. which one. So the he, ones that don't look alike. He can't Thank put goodness. on a dress and fool you then. No, he cannot. Yeah, all right. Fair no. enough. I was going to say, because we have twins in our family, mm-hmm. and I used to babysit them, my nieces, and I would often feed just the one. Like, I'd go in, feed, leave. Twice? <laughs> it's easy to tell now which one that was. Uh, let's take a break. <laughs>